Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, November 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban faces the Supreme Court. And we talk Yazoo pumps and parchment with Representative Benny Thompson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Supreme Court will hear arguments tomorrow in a case that could reshape the right to abortion in America. It's called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Jackson Women's Health Organization is the last abortion clinic in Mississippi. Lawyers for the clinic will argue against the state of Mississippi, which will be defending a ban on abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. We're going to talk with two journalists who followed the case closely. Desiree Frazier is the senior legislative reporter for Mississippi Public Broadcasting and a Kaiser NPR fellow for health news reporting. And Rosemary Westwood is the public health reporter for WWNO Public Radio in New Orleans. So, Rosemary, let's start with the big picture. What makes this case so consequential? This is probably the greatest threat to Roe versus Wade since 1973, when the U.S. Supreme Court made abortion a constitutional right. This case could potentially overturn or reaffirm Roe versus Wade. And if that case is overturned, that would end the constitutional right to abortion. It would allow states to enact complete bans or any other law they see fit for abortion. The Center for Reproductive Rights, which is arguing for the Mississippi Abortion Clinic at the heart of the case, estimates that 24 states would ban all abortions with the possible exceptions only if the pregnant person's life was at stake. So, for example, Mississippi is arguing over its 15-week ban, but it also has a trigger law that would ban nearly all abortions, and so does Louisiana. And both those trigger laws take effect if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. That would really leave women in the Gulf South and much of the country 
with the choice of traveling hundreds of miles if they could afford it, finding illegal means to try to end their pregnancies, or being forced to continue a pregnancy they may not want. And for anti-abortion activists, they see this as thousands of pregnancies carried to term that might otherwise have ended in abortion, and thousands more babies born in these states. So the stakes really couldn't be higher in terms of the fight over the right to an abortion. Desiree, let's talk about how we got here. How did this case get before the U.S. Supreme Court? Karen, this ban passed in 2018. Initially, the state of Mississippi argued that the 15-week abortion ban is a regulation that doesn't end a woman's right to obtain the procedure. There are exceptions. They are for medical emergencies or severe fetal abnormalities. Currently, the state bans abortion after 20 weeks, and the state's only abortion clinic located in Jackson performs them up to 16. The law was blocked by a federal judge who ruled the ban was unconstitutional and the decision was upheld by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. The state asked the court to hear the case after losing that appeal. Initially, Mississippi's Attorney General Lynn Fitch filed a brief arguing the 15-week abortion ban was a regulation and wouldn't end abortion. But last year, when the court became a 6-3 conservative majority, Fitch then filed briefs seeking to overturn Roe v. Wade, saying it's a state's rights issue. Here's what Fitch had to say about the right to an abortion. When we go to the Supreme Court, we'll be asking the court to let the people in Mississippi, in New York, Florida, Iowa, and all across the country engage in this dialogue through the natural political discourse our Constitution envisions. In the Dobbs case, We'll defend the right of the people to speak their will through the men and women they elect as legislators and as governors. Karen, Roe v. Wade has been a precedent for abortion rights cases for nearly 50 years. Senior attorney Hillary Schneller is with the Center for Reproductive Rights and gives her perspective on the challenge. I think the key question for the court is whether there's any reason to come out differently now. And We argue forcefully in our brief, and as we will on December 1st at the oral argument, there have been no changes in the law or the fact that could provide any basis for overruling Roe now. So let's talk about the law's origins. Why did Mississippi try to pass this ban in the first place? Well, at the time, Mississippi had a Republican supermajority, and they still have one. So the legislature passed the 15-week abortion ban. This is what Republican Senator Angela Hill of Picayune had to say on the Senate floor during the debate. I don't like abortions, period. But when you take a baby and you have to crush the skull and take it apart piece by piece to get it out of a woman's uterus and you have to catch the remnants in a suction cup and then go to the sink and count them out and make sure you have two hands, two feet, a skull, a spinal cord, that's just wrong. It's inhumane. The bill passed along party lines, and then Governor Phil Bryant signed the bill into law. The Center for Reproductive Rights, representing the Jackson Women's Health Organization, appealed the law before it could take effect. The attorneys argued Roe v. Wade established that a woman has a right to an abortion before viability when the fetus can live outside the womb. But recently, Attorney General Lynn Fitch said great advances in science and technology show that viability begins sooner than scientists thought in 1973. Now, I have spoken to the owner of the Jackson Clinic, Diane Dursis, and she has said on numerous occasions 
She thinks Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Dursa says the fetus is being considered more important than the woman. We are where we've been talking about being for the last 40 years. We're at the crucial point of finding out whose rights prevail. Is it the right of a zygote, an egg, a fetus, or is it the right of the woman to make this decision? So it's um, as serious as it can get. So this is a debate that's been brewing for a long time. And Rosemary, Louisiana has a special interest in this case, correct? That's right. Months after Mississippi passed its ban, Louisiana passed a nearly identical law. The key difference is that Louisiana's ban was written so that it would only take effect if Mississippi's were upheld. And as Desiree said, that hasn't happened. Lawmakers in Louisiana essentially wanted to avoid a duplicate legal battle and potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees defending the law. So they've been letting Mississippi fight this battle. But even if the Supreme Court were to try and issue a ruling that narrowly upholds the 15-week ban in Mississippi and does not completely end the constitutional right to an abortion, Louisiana's law would also take effect. That could have major implications for people across the Gulf South, because clinics here are overwhelmed right now with patients from Texas. People have probably heard of Texas's law called SB8. It's a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy before many women may know they're pregnant. The law took effect in September and has been allowed to stay in effect by the U.S. Supreme Court, so that right now women from Texas are traveling to other states for abortions in what abortion rights groups say is a harbinger of what women from two dozen states will need to do if Roe is overturned. But the reason Texas's law is in effect is really unique. That law was written to avoid federal court oversight by making citizens rather than government officials responsible for enforcing the law by filing civil lawsuits against people who perform abortions or help women get abortions. So legal challenges have been stymied by arguments about who can sue whom over Texas's law and whether that state can be held accountable for it in federal court. Those arguments haven't been about whether a six-week abortion ban is unconstitutional, and right now, under Roe and Casey, U.S. Supreme Court precedents, it is unconstitutional. So the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in that case this fall, and we are still waiting for a decision. But it's important to note that decision will only impact Texas's law. It's Mississippi's case that has the potential to change the entire country and end legal abortion in half of U.S. states. You've both visited the clinic in Jackson in recent weeks. Can you talk about what you saw and how the clinic is handling the pressure of this case, Desiree? Karen, abortion rights activists tell me the right to an abortion will ultimately affect black women and other women of color and the poor. They believe more white women will have access to abortion through their private doctors or by traveling to a provider. When I was at the clinic, I did see more black than white women seeking an abortion. And since Texas passed its 16-week abortion ban, women are traveling to neighboring states to get an appointment. So many are coming to Mississippi. The clinic used to be open several days. Now it's open five days to try and meet the demand. I spoke with Lori, who came in from another state to have an abortion. She asked me not to use her real name and the state where she's from. I was heavily influenced by my partner to make the decision, Um, but I care deeply about my partner, and he 
was not ready to make this decision. Neither one of us were ever ready to make this decision, but we also aren't ready for a child. And that's not something that I want to force on anyone. Dana Chisholm is an anti-abortion protester and former president of Pro-Life Mississippi. She was outside of the clinic about two weeks ago handing out literature. She said she understands what women are going through and appreciates the distress they feel. Chisholm also discussed her own experience with an unplanned pregnancy. I was unplanned back a long time ago, and I had an unplanned daughter, and I've had an unplanned grandchild. And that would be whole generations of people that would not be here if it were not for the grace of God. And Rosemary, what was your visit like at the clinic in Jackson? The anti-abortion protesters I talked with at the clinic certainly wanted to see Roe overturned, but they also told me they felt that abortions would continue if illegally. They were stepping up to cars as people tried to drive into the parking lot, talking through closed car windows and yelling as women got out of vehicles to walk into the clinic, asking those women not to get an abortion. And I had a similar experience to Desiree, meeting women who traveled from other states, seeing waiting rooms full of predominantly black women. I saw one Texas patient who had a young child, and had driven hours to get there, but didn't know that there was a state-mandated 24-hour waiting period between when you first see the doctor and when you're allowed to get an abortion. And she was distraught because she didn't know how she was going to be able to wait a full day to have that abortion. I met a woman from Louisiana who'd driven to Jackson because it would have taken her weeks to get an appointment at the New Orleans clinic, which is full of Texas patients. A doctor I spoke to there as well said that no doctors who work in Mississippi will work at the clinic for fear of retribution. And he worries there could be more blowback on the clinic and people who work there if the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't overturn Roe. So he's afraid that abortion could end if Roe were overturned, but he's afraid about what he could face if the court does not take that step when so many are expecting it to and hoping it will. Desiree, how are lawmakers in Mississippi feeling about the case? Well, lawmakers who support ending abortion rights, they are feeling optimistic. In terms of the makeup of the high court, they believe the odds may be in their favor. What's been the reaction to the case by national anti-abortion and abortion rights groups? Anti-abortion rights activist Karen aren't letting up. They recently held an event called 40 Days for Life, during which they protested at the abortion clinic, fasted, and prayed. They are determined to keep advocating for an end to the procedure. Abortion rights groups are galvanizing their efforts to put alternatives in place, they say, should Roe v. Wade be overturned. Advocates are telling me if abortion is outlawed, women won't stop having abortions, and they're working on what they call safe self-abortions. I just would add that nationally, this case is probably the biggest abortion case in decades, and activists are preparing on both sides for the momentous decision, as Desiree said. And... And this is really something that I think it's important to note is a result of the presidency of former President Donald Trump. He appointed three of the nine justices. His last appointment, Amy Coney Barrett, took the seat of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that meant Ginsburg, probably the court's most famous defender of reproductive rights, has been replaced by Barrett, a pick hailed by conservatives and anti-abortion groups who view her as a critic of Roe versus Wade. I've seen abortion rights groups sort of take note of that change and begin to actively campaign to raise awareness about this case. 
because they see that that change on the court is is the difference. It's less that Mississippi passed a 15-week ban and more that the U.S. Supreme Court itself has changed. And it's the same feeling that I've seen expressed by anti-abortion um, advocates. There's an, a, an, a one major legal scholar who, who told me, you know, if not now, when a highly conservative majority is on the court and there's a case before the court directly aimed at Roe versus Wade, if not now, when? And and what he meant was, if you don't overturn Roe now, when will you do it? Okay. So what happens next? So the justices will hear arguments beginning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Those are actually streamed online, so anyone can go to the website for the U.S. Supreme Court and listen in. I'll actually be there in Washington, D.C., taking stock of the people outside of the courtroom. There will be protests and rallies on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court for both sides. And after that, it will likely take months for a decision to be issued. The court has a history of issuing its major decisions at the very end of the term. So that would be in June. And there will be a strange sort of pause in the case for months before the country could be drastically changed. Rosemary Westwood is the public health reporter for WWNO Public Radio in New Orleans. And Desiree Frazier is the senior legislative reporter for Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, we talk Yazoo pumps and parchment with Representative Benny Thompson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today, we continue our conversation with Congressman Benny Thompson. Thompson represents Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District in the U.S. House. He also serves as chair of the Committee on Homeland Security. Representative Thompson speaks again with MPB's Michael Guidry. Recently, the Biden administration's uh, EPA uh, reversed a decision from the Trump administration EPA to allow the Yazoo Pumps project to go forward. It would be a project in your district, a project uh, that has been at the center of some controversy. Um, I'd just like to get your response to that decision uh, and what your message is to residents uh, in the Yazoo backwater area that were looking to see those pumps um, built. Well, well, thank you very much. First of all, I support flood control. Uh, if the pumps meet the existing criteria uh, from the federal regulations, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I'm not going to support a project that does not pass federal requirements. EPA has ruled that that project in its present form does not pass the Clean Water Act of 2008. So why would I, as an advocate, of a project, say to EPA, you should fund it anyway because it's a problem. My suggestion to the supporters, if at all possible, we can mitigate and meet the Clean Water Act of 2008 requirements, let's do it. If we can't, then let's come up with some alternatives to flood control. So, Bennett Thompson, supports following the law. If the pumps at this point don't follow the law, 
then in good conscience, I can't say we should spend $500 million of taxpayers' money on a project that's illegal. I'm a grandfather. I can't set an example for my children by telling them the law doesn't apply if you want to do it. Just do it. So it's clear in my mind I support flood control, but I want it to be legal. If the the project as written and as proposed does not comply with the Clean Water Act of 2008, uh, where did that where did that approval uh, from the previous administration come from? How was it justified uh, and it, to cause such a reversal and this kind of matter of controversy? Well, I guess you'd have to talk to those EPA officials who approved it. As you know, earlier EPA had vetoed the project. The EPA officials last November reversed the veto. Now the administration looked at it and said, in reversing the veto, you didn't follow existing law. So it's this administration who's reviewed it and looked at it and said it's a problem. So what I hope uh, can happen, if the will to look at what needs to be complied with is done, then, then we'll get the pumps. If we can't get the pumps, then... I'm told that EPA is prepared to recommend additional flood control measures that can mitigate the flooding in the Delta. So you can't overlook the regulations. The equivalent is if I have a car and speed limit is 70 miles an hour, I can't just go out and drive that same vehicle 90 miles an hour and not expect to be penalized. So what my plea is for those who want flood control and want government support, let's follow the government regulations that are absolutely required before we spend any money. Another issue that you have been uh, uh, outspoken about is uh, the condition of prisons in Mississippi, uh, particularly Parchman. Uh, you have been a vocal supporter of the Department of Justice's investigation into Mississippi's prison system. Where are we with that? Uh, are you pleased with what uh, the, the work that's been done by the new commissioner? Uh, where does that investigation stand, and um, what's the path forward? First of all, Parchman Penitentiary is in my congressional district. When I joined the Southern Poverty Law Center, Mississippi Center for Justice, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and other groups who said the deaths and the manner in which people are housed in those facilities, inhumane and unconstitutional, should not be. I asked the Department of Justice to come in and look at it. My understanding is they have, in fact, made visits. I've not been privy to their reports or anything at this point. I look forward to getting them. I have not had a conversation with the new commissioner, so I'm not privy to what he has been doing. My complaint is still active, and I hope that the the deaths that used to occur almost on a daily basis at the prison, my understanding is that they are not as frequent as they used to be, but they are still problems. 
so as long as unconstitutional things still occur there, I'm concerned. So I look forward to the Department of Justice getting me the information around what's occurring at Parchment, and, and we'll make a, a judgment after that. Benny Thompson is a U.S. representative from Mississippi. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.